0: Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This spirited tale, Story Club members, might make you wonder what goes bump in the night. It's one I call Ghosted. Hi, my name is Luna Danvers, and I'm a ghost. I haunt a house at the end of 1213 Juniper Tree Lane. It's a cute little two-story country house that sits at a dead end near a patch of leafy woods where deer, pheasants, and quail like to roam. I often watch and sometimes interact with them. For some reason, animals are aware of me when people are not. It's been pretty lonely in the house. I died of pneumonia in the early part of the 20th century when the house was brand new. My family moved away after that. I didn't cross over to the other side. I wanted to stay behind. I loved this house and never wanted to leave. My father had built it special for my mother and me. There was a new family who lived here for decades, which for a ghost like me, seems only like a few months. They were called the Summerlands. The Summerlands were a nice couple who had a collection of cats that I played with over the years. One of my favorite felines was Bobby Joe, a brown Manx cat that had a puffy tail and kinda ran like a rabbit. I loved her so much, but she's long passed on. After Mr. Summerlin died, he didn't become a ghost like me. He passed on to the other side. Mrs. Summerlin grew too old to live alone and was moved to an assisted living home. The country house at the end of Juniper Tree Lane has stood empty for a long, long time since then. I've endlessly wandered its stairwells, hallways, attics, and cellar, but what good is a haunted house if there's nobody to haunt? Let's face it, ghosts need people to be ghosts. Otherwise, we're nothing, literally. Then, one day, a realtor came out and slapped a sold sticker across the weathered, faded for sale sign. Soon after that, a family of three moved into the house. They were named the Belichick's. There was Jack, the father, Nancy, the mother, and Matthew, their son. Matt, as he liked to be called, was around 10 years old, just like me. Finally, I had somebody to play with and share secrets with about the place. Matt slept in my old room. I didn't want to scare him. I know ghosts can be scary from all the ghost stories my parents used to read to me before bed. So, I would write little messages on the dusty table like, Hello. At first, of course, Matt was a little freaked out, but then he finally wrote back, Hello. I then started asking him questions like how he was. He would always answer back with a stroke of his index finger in the dust. Then, one day, I finally decided to appear to him. It takes a lot of energy for a ghost to manifest, but I did it. Matthew's eyes lit up, and I was afraid he'd be scared, but he said he wasn't. He said he had felt me being around. So, we started having long chats, and I told him about the entire house and all the things that had gone on in its history. One day, his father caught him talking to me. He got mad and said, stop talking to imaginary friends, Matt. You're too old for that. Matt was pretty sad his father didn't believe him when he said he was talking to a ghost. So we had to chat in secret after that, usually after Matt went to bed. I would tell him stories and he would read me stories too. I didn't have any access to books. Sometimes we'd even watch television together. That was pretty fun. Then, one day, Jack Belichick got sick, so sick that he had to go to the hospital. He lost his job, and all the money they had went to paying his hospital bills. They were gonna have to sell the house and move away. I would never see Matt again. One thing I never shared with Matt was that Mr. Summerlin used to go to the horse races in town. He was a gambling man who seemed to have a streak of luck. The Summerlins never did anything with their money, and he didn't trust Banks to keep his money in it, so he kept it in a trunk hidden behind a wall in the cellar. After Mr. Summerlin grew elderly, they forgot about the money. I told Matt exactly where it was. Then, one day, Matt dug out the trunk. There were hundreds of thousands of dollars in there. He showed his mom, who started crying because she was so happy. She didn't want to move either. Later, when they used the money to pay off the mortgage and own the house, as well as cover the hospital bills, Jack Belichick asked how his son discovered the money. Well, remember the ghost Luna Danvers that you told me not to talk to anymore, Dad? Matt said. His father smiled and finally admitted he was wrong. Matt could talk to any ghost he wanted to. So that's how I went from being a lonely ghost to having a happy family under one roof. Later, Mr. and Mrs. Belichick accepted me into their home, even inviting me to dinner. I don't eat anything, of course, but I was happy to be included. Humans might not need ghosts as much as ghosts need humans, but who's to say? Aw, that was such a sweet story. I totally get the loneliness that Luna Danvers felt, though. Growing up as a monster kid who loved scary things, I was kind of an outcast, so I understand that part. But after I met my friends, Autumn and Willow, and then adopted my dog, Spike and Renfield, I had my own little family. Creepy horror podcast hosts need love, too. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host and keeper of those strange and spooky tales from the hidden vault of R.L. Stein. Today is another chilling tale. This spirited tale, Story Club members, might make you wonder what goes bump in the fog. It's one I call the Miss of Cape Disappointment. It was time for another girl's trip, after the end of summer and before the craziness of the holidays. Autumn and I wanted to do another ghost expedition, but Willow wasn't exactly down for that per se. We all agreed on a nice, relaxing beach trip, and since we are in the Pacific Northwest, we decided to check out one of the longest beaches in the world, Long Beach, Washington. But what my ghost-fearing friend Willow Yates didn't know was that there were some ghost stories lurking in the area. I bet you already suspected that, beloved listeners. We stayed in the Shelburne Hotel in Seaview, which was one of the most haunted hotels that I could find. It was built in 1896, and it's reportedly the longest continually operating hotel in Washington state. There've been multiple accounts of a male ghost whom psychics have identified as Charles Beaver, the original owner and builder of the hotel. However, apparently Charles's ghost annoyed the staff so much with his walking around in cold spots that some psychics were called in to clear him out. There were also reports of a little ghost girl at the Shelburne Hotel, but nobody knows much about her. That first night after check-in, we wined and dined in the hotel. The next day, we headed out to Cape Disappointment, which is called the Graveyard of the Pacific, as there've been so many shipwrecks off its coast throughout history. The fog had rolled in by the time we'd parked the car and trekked up the trail to the lighthouse. It was quite the walk uphill, and my muscles were aching by the time we reached the summit. We passed Dead Man's Cove, the splendid little inlet was named that because a ship, the Vandalia, sank in 1853 and all aboard were lost, many of the bodies washing up in the hollow. We hoped that maybe we would see a ghost ship, but the fog had already become really heavy and made our vision out into the ocean pretty impossible. We couldn't see anything. As we reached the lighthouse on the bluff, I then remembered reading about another ghost in the area, Mary Pessinen, who was the wife of a lighthouse keeper. One sunny day, she left the lighthouse to go walk her dog. Her dog returned home, but Mary did not. When a search party was initiated, they found Mary's coat at the edge of a cliff and scrape marks where she had apparently jumped. Her body eventually washed up, and her ghost has been reportedly seen roaming around the area. Since it was close to lunchtime, Autumn, Willow, and I walked to the spot where Mary had allegedly jumped and laid out a blanket. We'd brought picnic supplies in a backpack from Sid's IGA across the street from the Shelburne Hotel. It sadly didn't look like we were going to get any ghostly visits on this trip. That is, until we were nearly done with lunch. I was taking a picture of Willow chowing down on some puffy Cheetos, and then I noticed a woman standing behind her in an old-fashioned dress. I snapped the photo just as the woman smiled at me and then vanished. Willow posed for the photo, having no idea who or what was behind her. Later, when I spoke to Autumn about it, she said she felt the presence before the specter of Mary Pessanan had shown up, but she kept it to herself in case her psychic reading of the situation was wrong, but it wasn't. Wait, let me see the picture before you post it, Willow said. You always post the worst pictures of me to your Instagram when I have a mouthful of food or my eyes are closed. I peeked at the picture, then shared it with Willow. Behind her was the clear outline of a woman, just as she was starting to fade. Willow quickly turned around, but only the misty air was there. Um, okay, it's time we get out of here, Willow said, pronto. Willow was absolutely done going to the beach after that, or even near the water. Poor Willow. I did get a great photo of Mary Pesanen, though. The rest of the trip was spent antique shopping and clam chowder eating. Yum, my favorite part. Willow was done having any more spirited adventures with Autumn and I. Well, at least until next time. (laughs) Do you like to laugh? Ah, who am I kidding? Who doesn't like to laugh? So, okay, if you love to laugh, you'll love Don't Break the Rules. It's a hilarious comedy improv podcast where the voice actors make up their lines on the spot, So if you'd like to giggle and play along, be sure to listen to Don't Break the Rules wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello again, R.L. Stein Story Club members. I'm Ivy, your ghostly host with the most and keeper of the strangest, spookiest tales on Earth. Today is another chilling tale. This mechanized terror tale story club members might make you run away from your phone and all things technological. It's one I call Attack of the Drones. Wilder Brown didn't want to go to the Sunday picnic with his family. Picnic was just another word for boring. Except, Wilder didn't realize that he would be running for his life from something he could not imagine would ever happen. Something that defied expectation and boggled the imagination. The day started out with a rush of packing the car. Wilder's red and white border collie, Kai, liked to catch frisbees, so he packed a few in his bag for the energetic pup. At least the dog would be happy in the park catching the discs. Kai was always happy and wagging his tail like crazy when frisbees and treats were involved. Wilder's dad drove for nearly two boring hours. The trip felt like an eternity to Wilder. It was his father's annual work party picnic, and bringing the family was considered a good idea. Wilder, aged 11, wanted to stay home. Who wants to go to a picnic and hang out with people you don't even know? Though when he arrived, Wilder had to admit, despite it being boring, it was a very nice park with groves of elm, oak, and walnut trees surrounding it. In the center of the park was a duck pond, and the waterfowl were happily quacking away in the murky body of water. The party was a potluck, so there were all kinds of dishes that looked pretty appetizing. Baked beans, tacos, pizza, potato salads, and everything in between. The dessert table, with all the cakes, cookies, and pies, was especially inviting. A distinguished man with silver hair was cooking on the grill. That was Roger Stone, his dad's boss. Roger was the one who always insisted on grilling the hot dogs and hamburgers for every employee family gathering. After a delicious, pants-bursting lunch, Wilder decided to ignore all the other kids. They seemed to know each other already and were hanging out in their family circles. Why bother? He took Kai, his bored Border Collie, out to the grass with some frisbees instead. Once Kai started chasing after them and catching the colorful spinning toys in mid-flight, the other employees' kids came over. Some were snapping pictures and others were cheering on the red and white dog. Wilder found himself having fun but then a high-pitched droning sound began. It was faint at first, almost indecipherable, but then it gradually grew louder, buzzing over the treetops. What Wilder first thought was a flock of geese or ducks flying low was a swarm of drones. They all buzzed, barely missing the leafy tops of the trees. Then they swooped down onto the picnic Most people didn't run or do anything, not knowing what the drones were. That is, until they started zipping down with their tiny electronic engines and picking up people. Several drones working in unison were strong enough to carry a person away. The first one Wilder witnessed being grabbed was his dad's boss, Roger Stone. The drones had him by his hands and carried him off in a state of shock. He was still wearing his number one chef apron. The phones in people's hands zapped, shocking them. The phone owners dropped them, rubbing their tingling hands. One kid said that the phone texted a weird and cruel message on the screen that technology would now be the master and would enslave humans instead of the other way around. Yikes. A drone buzzed at Wilder, but Kai, thinking it was a frisbee, leaped into the air and grabbed it out of the sky and shook it to the ground, destroying it. Check off one drone. Let's go, boy," Wilder said. He couldn't find his parents and was going to run for the parking lot, but several of the cars had started on their own and were driving around. Hondas, Toyotas, Hondas, Mazdas, Audis, Fords, Chevys, and Nissans. They were all chasing people. Their onboard computers must have been activated by some artificial intelligence electric pulse signal, which was also controlling the drones and phones. And something inhuman was controlling that network. Maybe this was the technological takeover that had been dramatized in so many movies. Whatever it was, Wilder and Kai quickly retreated to a grove of trees. Several picnic attendee children who hadn't been swept away by the drones spoke in hushed voices and tried to figure out what to do next. They couldn't return to the city, it was teeming with technology. Cars, computers, closed-circuit surveillance cameras, they would be found and most likely enslaved by the machine overlords that had clearly taken over. For now, Wilder, Kai, and the others were reasonably safe in the woods, but for how long? And how would they fight back against this futuristic new enemy? Wilder didn't know, but he and his new force of young rebels would have to come up with a plan soon. Ugh, technology is always giving me trouble. I swear, beloved listeners, my microwave sometimes has a mind of its own. It'll either cook my frozen bean and cheese burritos to a burnt crisp or leave them frozen in the middle. Pretty sure it has it out for me and my comfort food. Eh, well. That's the way the bean and cheese burrito turns, I guess. (laughs) Seriously, though, no matter how zapped my burrito is, there's nothing I'd rather do while eating it than listening to great stories. That's why I listen to the rest of the Go-Kid-Go network when I'm not working on creepy tales for all you to listen to. There are so many great adventures to enjoy with Go-Kid-Go. Like Bobby Wonder, about a 10-year-old alien who has to protect the town of Flukerville from villainous Mighty Mila, and Lucy Wow over in the Big Red Barn inventing all sorts of cool stuff with her mechanical pygmy goat, Capel. And of course, Martha and Waffle being totally hilarious nitwits in the underground world of Floozville. Go Kid Go even has an underwater adventure show called Whale of a Tale about the brother and sister exploring team Atlas and Xavier who live in a submarine shaped like a whale. So join me in searching for Bobby Wonder, Lucy Wow, Floozville, and Whale of a Tale wherever you get your podcasts. They'll leave a good taste in your mouth, even if you're pushing through a seriously disappointing cold burrito. And of course, I'll meet you back here tomorrow for another R.L. Stein Story Club Tale, the love listeners. Ivy Out. Go, kid, go! Good news alert! We've sniffed out a winner from the Go Kid Go team, Snoop and Sniffy! What happens when Snoop, an experienced dog detective from London, gets sent to small-town Pflugerville to train clueless puppy Sniffy as an undercover agent? Mystery, adventure, and chaos! Seriously, the town of Pflugerville isn't Dullsville like Snoop expected, and he quickly realizes that he can't handle all the action without Sniffy by his side. Even when they're able to turn a blind eye to the alien superheroes and villains battling it out for control of Pflugerville, Snoop and Sniffy had their paws full on Bark Street, with hilarious busybodies like Lorraine the Neighborhood watch Duck, Poot the Groundhog and Fred the Squirrel popping around. Do you love to laugh? Do you love animals? Do you have the brightest minds since Sherlock Holmes? Yes? Then tag along with us for the fun and see if you can help solve the mysteries by listening to Snoop and Sniffy on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.